the search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization uh, means the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the self. Welcome to the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. I'm your host, Brett Griffin, and our guest today is board game designer Dustin Crouch. Dustin has designed and published a new game available on Kickstarter now called Sigil Powers of War. It's an action-packed fantasy-based strategic battle game. It looks a lot like Risk meets Magic the Gathering, but I'm sure it's a lot more than that, so we'll talk about that. You guys will find out as well as I will. Sigil can be found on the web at sigilpowersofwar.com on Facebook at Sigil Game, and on Twitter and Instagram at Sigil underscore Game. Dustin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, man. Thanks. Glad to be here. So a lot of people aren't going to know that this is a real thing. So what does <laughs> a game designer do? Um, well, I mean, I, I create formulas and mechanics to make fantasy fun, you know. So I, I take mechanics of a game and I, I try to combine them with ideas of, of storytelling to, to create the the gameplay that that makes immerses one in in the in the area of fantasy yeah okay and is this your full-time work or do you have a regular job too oh no 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 I'm, i do construction management for money <laughs> this is um <laughs> this is this is a new endeavor i've, I've always kind of tweaked games and made changes to games along the way but i've never actually sat down and taken a game you know to completion <clears throat> okay so where did you learn the tricks and secrets to getting these things dialed in just right and making sure this sword of a thousand truths isn't too powerful and that this orc doesn't have too many hit points and all of that? How, how does one learn how to balance one of these just right? It's really just a function of sitting down and playing what you've made, you know, over and over and over and, and, and getting that balance to work. Um, I've, you know, we've played this thing 500 times if we played it once. Oh, wow. So, it's it's really just sitting down and tweaking those numbers so that it at least it feels balanced. It may it, it's all dependent on the the luck of the dice rolls and the skill of the player. Mm -hmm. But we do have formulas that you know that I created that that tell us the starting statistics that a card might have. Yeah, you mentioned that it's part about the skill of the player, but it's also part luck. How do you how do you dial in that one card that you're not sure if it's strong enough or not, and it might just be coming out this way due to luck, or it might just be coming out this way because you're better than the person you're playing against? You know, how do you really get to the nitty gritty of this is working or not? You know, early on that was hard. I feel like that right now I could say the text of a card in my brain and think, okay, this is broken or it's not. Mm -hmm. But but early on when when we would create the cards, you know, it. it if it affected everything, like if the card affected everything, then it felt too strong. So it's really a function of, okay, what's the purpose of this card? What's the intent of this card? And then how strong can it possibly be? 
So then, you know, we kind of take all those different things and, you know, put them on a grid almost in your brain and make sure that, that they line up with, you know, it, it's, it's a fantasy world, but the mechanics have to be realistic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just kind of compare those things against each other and, and, um, it just really takes practice. I mean, it just really takes getting in there and, and doing it and seeing which one works and which one doesn't. Awesome. So what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, I don't know. I'm still not there. That's, um, <laughs> I grew up, my dad built houses. And so I did a lot of that with him. So I really like to work with my hands, but I've also really enjoyed gaming in general, whether it's video games or board games or whatever, it just gave you a place to escape. So combining the creation, you know, through construction and then just the escape, the escapism that you can get in a game, you know, creating games has just kind of been something I've always wanted to do. I didn't know that you could actually make money doing it. Mm -hmm. What's the first game you remember playing that really got its hooks into you? Um, that's HeroScape. I don't okay. know if you remember that from the late 80s. But yeah, HeroScape, Milton Bradley, I think, actually, you know, a huge game manufacturer, mm -hmm. or Hasbro. I don't know who, who produced that, but that was what really got me hooked in the fantasy realm itself. And then that's more of a dungeon crawl game. But but that was the game that started it all, hmm. HeroScape. I remember being little, like three or four, and my parents would have their friends over and they'd play Monopoly. And yeah. there was always something that seemed so cool about it. Like it was so mm -hmm. serious and adult and, you know, yeah. mysterious to me as this three or four-year-old. And I don't know why, but it always just seemed really neat. And um, yeah. I, I ended up playing a lot of Monopoly in high school and college and uh, yeah. got into Risk a little bit. Um, it's been a while since I played Risk, but um, your game looks a lot like Risk meets Magic the Gathering. And I yeah. played a little Magic in college, but I I wasn't very good at it, and I it was hard mm -hmm. to get into. I just like, Magic I, has a yeah, it has a pretty high barrier of entry. Like it it the, the rules aren't that complex, but the cost to get good at it is is pretty high. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing somebody that's invested two thousand dollars in it, they're going to be better than you. Right. Um, it's funny, the board game hobby itself, it, it, it kind of frowns upon those entry-level games, the Magic, the Risk. Like, I, There's actually shirts that say, no, not like Monopoly, you know? <laughs> um, because that's all that people relate board gaming with is Monopoly. But if, if, if you really dig into the board gaming, tabletop gaming industry, it is like rich and deep. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of games out there that most people don't know about. You may know about... The new game that came out this year where you put the thing in your mouth and, you know, you try to talk. Yes. Uh, speak out, speak out. Maybe yeah, I've, I've seen the pictures um, of people doing that on Instagram. So there's those games that exist at the hobby level where, you know, you've got miniatures and all this stuff that's really deep Dungeons and Dragons type mm -hmm. lore. And they're that popular inside of the gaming industry, but you just don't you don't know about them because it's not a it's not a mainstream thing. Right. I remember I had some friends that brought over Axis and Allies one time mm -hmm. in college, and I got to tell you, we got that game out, and they set it up, and it was an hour and a half later, and we still hadn't started playing. <laughs> they were trying to explain it to me and my roommate, yeah. and it was just like, you know what, guys? Yeah. We're, we're not doing this. <laughs> yeah. It's been an hour and a half. and uh, That's a huge game. We yeah. haven't rolled the dice yet. I, I, I don't think this is going to work for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually played that in college with actually um I was studying math. I had my first degrees in math and mm. uh, the math professors would get together like every other weekend and play Axis and Allies. 
but they would have these three-page table of probability statistics on dice rolls against, you know, three tanks against two tanks and then oh, wow. airplanes. And, um, but they, they were looking at it from an analytical standpoint and not really, uh, let's play this game for fun. They were almost looking at it like a, a math experiment. Um, so that I did play that some in college mm. and it is, it's too big. It, it's too big <laughs> of a game. Yeah. Have you played diplomacy? I haven't played diplomacy. It's, uh, it's my understanding of it is there was a Grantland article on it a while back before Grantland folded and talking about it. And it was basically the, you know, the settlers of Catan meets risk meets, you know, access and allies. It's kind of a geopolitical strategy game and yeah. it's all about lying and backstabbing and being, you know, <laughs> as ruthless as possible. And, Supposedly, it's really intense, and it's something I'd like yeah. to do. I'd like to do it one time, but uh, I don't know. I haven't found anyone to play it with yet. Yeah, that sounds cool. So, was there a moment or specific instance that you realized, "Hey, I could make one of these"? You know, I, I like playing these, and I've got some ideas. This is a thing. I could do this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'd always made characters for other games. Like, I, I would make cre- create expansion characters on my own. So, it wasn't a function of can I use. M- can I use creativity to create a new thing inside of a game world? It was, can I actually make a whole game and put it together and bring it to market? That was, that seems like a huge task, you know, to take an idea, put it on paper and then eventually make it into something that people can buy. Um, but, um, a few years ago, a game came out called magic, the gathering arena, of the planeswalkers It was magic, the gathering on a board. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, me and Kane, my co-designer, we played that game and it was, it was such not magic, the gathering. It's like they, they took magic, the gathering and used that name to just put it on a board game and make money. Okay. And, and when they did that, I was like, you know, this is a good idea, but they did not execute it. They didn't execute it the way that it needed to be executed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I took that idea and I made a really rough version of a game, you know, just using Excel and, and we played it and it was, it was pretty rough and, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, but, but, you know, it, it, at least that's where it started. And then, you know, it sat on my shelf for a year, 18 months. And then Kane was like, you know, let's get this thing out. Let's look at it again. And that's, that's kind of where we started thinking, Hey, you know, maybe we can do this. And, you know, here we are, we're getting ready, we're on Kickstarter, and, you know, it, it's 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 going to be made. So, it's pretty exciting. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about Sigil. What's the scenario? How do you play? Yeah, um, so Sigil, it's a, it's a war game where you've got different fantasy races playing against each other. Like, you might have goblins and orcs against humans and elves, uh, against dragons, against angels. Um, angels, wow. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, so there, <laughs> yeah, so there's eight different factions that you can pick from, and you've got a customizable deck to kind of create your army. So there's 40 cards in a deck, and there's multiple cards you can choose to be in that deck before the game would start. So you're using that deck to summon your creatures, to, to cast spells, to, to ca- change the way the battle happens. But at the end of the day, you're just trying to destroy your opponent. So okay. I've got a sigil. You've got a sigil. You're trying to defend yours. I'm trying to defend mine. Whoever dies first loses. And, of course, it's up to six players. So you can play, you know, 2v2, 3v3, or free-for-all, okay. all that stuff. So, I mean, that's what it is. It's a customizable war game uh, with fantasy, a fantasy theme. Okay. 
And you mentioned Magic the Gathering having a huge uh, cost to really do that. Is this a collectible thing, or is everything you need in the box? No, it's um, there's another game that's coined the term living card game. So that's that's kind of the new term in the, in the industry, and it's it's basically a known card base. So you know how many cards are in each set, and you know which cards are in each set. So when you go out and buy a certain set, you know exactly what's in it. Um, it's not a collectible thing, though. So different cards will be more valuable than other ones just because they're rarer. Mm-hmm. But you will know exactly what you're buying when you buy a set. There's no unknown booster pack type scenario. Okay, gotcha. So you're rolling the dice and the die, dice, die. Which one is it? Well, I think they've changed it now. Dice is singular and plural. I think you can use dice for both. Now. They, they decided. Whoever, whoever they may be, the Illuminati, whoever that might be. The the lizard um, people. <laughs> Yeah. The lizard people so, shadow government. And I just learned this recently. So you can feel comfortable using dice singularly or plurally. All so. right. Sorry, uh, NSA, I know you're listening to us right now. <laughs> In conjunction with the Rand Corporation. That's right. The reverse vampires. Us. Yeah. Yes. Little Simpsons humor for you guys there. <laughs> so, you know, you wouldn't think construction, management, tough guy mm-hmm. building stuff with all of this fantasy uh, board gaming. Is that something you mm-hmm. did a lot? I mean, it's a pretty manly industry that I'm, <laughs> that I'm in. But honestly, I, I do pre-construction, so I do estimating and scheduling. You know, I, all of my projects are pre-steel. You know, I, I, everything that I work on is all numbers in, in theory. Mm-hmm. And so it actually translate pretty, it translates pretty well because I've been able to manage this project the same way I would manage a construction project, except instead of talking about doors and windows, I'm talking about, you know, pieces of cardboard and dice um just to manage the the cost and that's really been important to me is to make a game that's awesome but to keep the cost down so that people that may have a barrier to entry to a to a pretty intense game can can get into it for not a whole lot of money and is this one of those six eight hour risk you know monopoly type things where you're going to be at this all day so make sure you have food and water and candles in case the power goes out or yeah, uh, those games are fun, but this is more of a skirmish game. Um, so, like, a long game would be 90 minutes. Oh, okay. Most of our games are between 20 and 30 minutes. All right. Yeah. And I'm sure that is good considering, you know, the current climate, trying to get people to spend, you know, four or five hours playing a game and the short attention span, instant gratification, yeah. you know, technology era, golden age of television. I mean, there's a lot of options of entertainment for people out there, so... Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I want you to, when you get done, I want you to want to play it again immediately. So right. if you can play it in 30 minutes, 45 minutes, then, then you have time to play it again immediately and, and maybe do better the next time. Right. So when you were designing this thing, you know, what was the creative ritual? how did you come up with these different factions? how did you come up with the different character classes? You know, what's kind of the inspiration there? Well, I started with a, um, the map of the world so i kind of created the world in my brain and i found a website where i could create a map um and then i created the map and then i took you know the eight faction kind of theories in my head and i put them on the map and then using that so i took those eight factions and i gave them powers and weaknesses and then i just created the cards based off of like for instance the remnant it's got three powers and three weaknesses. So all of the cards that go inside that faction have to match those powers and weaknesses. 
and, and so like they're humans and elves and dwarves and they're good at ranged and they have human ingenuity and stuff like that. So the cards that, that go inside that faction have to um, have to fit inside that mold. But there's it's not it's not as strict as it sounds, but that's that's how I kind of created bumpers to guide me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me about King Jacob? <laughs> yeah. So early on, we were um, we created a calculator to to give us a casting cost. So in Magic, the casting cost is how much it it costs to get the unit into play. Mm-hmm. So something might cost two, it might cost five, it might cost eight. The higher up it goes, usually the stronger it is. Right. So we, anyways, we created a, calcul- a calculator to figure out what those costs should be. And my buddy Kane showed up one night. We were getting ready to play, just play test some new stuff that we'd been working on. And and he plays this card, and it says King Jacob at the top. And it like costs like eight or something. And it was just an insane an insane creation like it was like something that you you couldn't it was an unbeatable character okay completely broken but he he plays and he was like well it fit in the calculator and i said but man you made the calculator so you've got to check yourself against you know you just you manipulated the calculator to create this character to win the game tonight you know you knew this wasn't going to fly but you wanted to play it anyway so that was king jacob and i think king jacob might make a return but he's going to be he's going to be a little bit more nerfed than he originally started being this is like in a nba 2k when you make your own character and you dial everything up to 100 and then you play the computer on easy one of those kinds that's of things. right yeah 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 <laughs> So where where would you say Sigil fits alongside some other games? Like if people like this or that, you know, are they going to like Sigil? If they like this kind of video game, if they like this kind of board game, yeah. if, if they like reading these kinds of books, you know, wh- who do you think this is really for? Um, if you're a Magic player, if you played Magic in the past, you'll lo- you'll like this game. And then outside of that, it's anybody that really likes fantasy based stuff. So if, if you're if you're a computer player and you play Diablo. You know, something like that. You're probably gonna like this game. If um, if you like Lord of the Rings type books and movies, you, you're gonna be drawn to, okay. to the characters in this game. Um, and it's it's really got pretty simple mechanics. It's not it's not some big nerdy need to read a 50 page rulebook game to understand the game. Um, you're gonna be able to pick up and read the cards and, and and you know feel and touch the dice and know pretty quickly what's going on. Okay, it doesn't take an hour and a half to set up. No, it, you know, it takes five minutes. So. <laughs> there you go. Don't even <laughs> no have to smell out. Don't even have to deal out the dollars. So that's good. No. So when you tell people you've designed a board game, mm-hmm. what's their what's their most common reaction? I mean, early on, that was something I was a little bit embarrassed about because, like, growing up, I I was a baseball player, you know, and then I was in a band. So like, you don't switch from being a jock to all of a sudden being this closet nerd. So I didn't really. <laughs> I didn't really tell anybody, you know, during the whole phase that that was something that was happening because I was a little bit embarrassed about it. And then I started going to these conventions to like Comic Con, Gen Con, those kind of conventions, not that big. But I would go to them and I would meet these people at these conventions. And they were just the nicest people in the world. And, and they were just so confident in who they were. And they didn't give two shits about what you thought about them, you know? Right. And so that was really eye-opening to me to see that they were so free in, in their geekdom almost, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, usually the reaction, if they're a gamer, it's like, man, that's really awesome. How did you accomplish that? 
And even if they're outside the gaming industry, there's a sense of how in the world do you even think to do that? Right. So it's usually a sense of, and it's probably like that with any business because there's so many, it seems like the, the hurdle to, to get started is so much higher than it actually is. Yeah. That's, um, the sentiment you're expressing about, you know, telling people about it. That's something that's come up a lot on this show, uh, with the other guests is that sometimes the hardest part is admitting to yourself, you're going to do this and also admitting to other people, you know, like, Hey, I'm doing this, check it out. And they, sure. They may have their own ideas about what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, what your, what they perceive your probability for success in that endeavor might be. And sometimes that's the hardest part is telling your friends and your family, like, Hey, I'm going to do this, check it out. You know? Yeah, you don't want to be a self-promoter too much, but at the end of the day, this is something that's cool that you're doing, and and just just tell people, you know, um, they're probably not going to be offended by you trying to go out and better yourself, right. you know. Um, and I don't know why we get hung up on that, but that was the case for me. <clears throat> Any preconceived misconceptions about gamers or board gamers, or you know, that you'd like to put to bed once and for all? I mean, if you watch Big Bang Theory, it's I mean, it's pretty much cut and dry. That's how most gamers are. So um, <laughs> I would say there's, there's a wider swath of gamers out there, though, that didn't, than you think. It's not all 40-year-old people living in their mother's basement. <laughs> you know, it's... Cheeto it's, dust uh, all in the beard. <laughs> That's another thing I that mean, keeps those, coming up on the show, the Cheeto those, dust in the those beard. Those guys exist, <laughs> but there's also, you know, people like me that have, uh, you know professional jobs that that are just into the hobby and um it, it's a cool group to be around actually mm-hmm. all right so when people did on the kickstarter page what are they gonna see um so when you hop on the kickstarter page there's a really cool cinematic video that we have that kind of puts you in the mood of the fantasy world that we've created and then you can scroll down and see the see the details of the game and the different levels of the buy-in you know there's a buy-in at one dollar just for just for showing up and, and you can follow the kickstarter and you'll get notification about stuff that we're releasing during the kickstarter um and then there's a couple pledge levels after that that give you they give you the base game that will come with four factions and everything you need to play and then there's an there's an expansion level that you can buy the base game plus an expansion so you'll get two more factions and then we're going to have a collector's edition available once we hit a certain goal. Um, but I've been really, really studying how to manufacture this and how to um, distribute this through um, Kickstarter blogs and just learning all this new information that's new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've really done a good job setting up the Kickstarter page. So if you have any information, it's there. And if you don't, there's a there's a comment section on Kickstarter that you can ask a question. And I'm going to be monitoring it like a hawk. So if you have any any pertinent questions you can post it there and and we'll respond to it pretty quickly awesome mm-hmm. and how much do i have to pay to get the original king jacob the super powerful is that <laughs> is that a million you know what i need to make that a promo item, <laughs> as much as that's come up king jacob might go for like a thousand you okay know, cause, okay because but but he can't be a, a real part of the game because he's completely broken <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah all right yeah. How do you even go about finding someone to make these, finding someone to make the cards and finding someone to make the board and finding someone to make the dice and the images? I mean, how do you go about that? Yeah, so the the game creation community has actually really been helpful there. There's a game, a guy named Jamie Stegmeyer who owns Stonemeyer Games, and he's written like 300 and something blog entries on how to create a board game and get it to market. 
And so I've really, I read his book, I devoured all of his blog stuff. And there's another guy, James Massey, who's, who's done the same thing. And I just studied their experience in the process. And then through that, I found a couple game manufacturers. The one I'm using is What's Games. They're going to make the game. They're going to, you know, put it in a box and, and they'll put it on a boat. And then that boat will go to different distribution facilities that I've got lined up already in different countries. And then from then, we'll use different fulfillment companies to to actually get the game to the end user. Mm-hmm. All that has to be thought through beforehand because I have to know shipping up front because most Kickstarters provide shipping and their cost of goods. So the cost that you're paying for the game includes X dollars for shipping. Okay. So And we can't charge that after the fact. I have to get it up front. Gotcha. So, so far, what's been the biggest triumph? I mean, really, the, the prototype that we have developed right now is looks amazing. And when we get feedback on it, for people to come up and sit down and say, this is the best game I've ever played, like, that really makes me feel good. So, getting to the point where we have a playable prototype that is, is visually appealing and that people are really interested in even purchasing the prototype, that has been you know, a big hurdle because we started with, you know, napkin sketch type stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, investing the money that we've invested to get to where we are, hiring the artist, doing the graphic design, doing all that stuff to get it even where it's plausible to be purchased as has been, has been really satisfying. Awesome. Any failures or disappointments on the way? Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that I wish that was different about the game that I can't put in the game because it drives up the cost of the manufacturing too much. Like it'd be awesome if they were all miniatures, you know, if if Mm. they weren't cardboard standees, but that drives up the cost of the game. And it also, it also kind of handcuffs me in my creativity because each miniature costs X dollars to make. So if I want to make a thousand different types of units, I can't because that would be a thousand dollars per game, you Mm. know? So that's been disappointing to just kind of the reality of what you can make in your mind versus what you can make in, in a machine as has been it's not a letdown it's great but it would be you know it would be cool if this was a digital game if i could get somebody to come along and say hey well, i want to produce this for you digitally then um then we could really turn all that stuff that's a that, that could have you know three dimension three dimensionality to it and, you know, really put it out there to, to be something to be visually appealing. All right. You heard that app creators. Did that yeah. me? Did Send add, me an email. Yeah, did that yeah. sigil underscore game. Let, let's make this happen. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of ties into my next question. So going forward, I know we're just starting the Kickstarter. It just launched. But how do you mm-hmm. define success for yourself? I mean, success is, is the Kickstarter overfunding so that we can have enough money to produce the expansions and the next set of cards to come. So I've based a Kickstarter, the dollar valuation on just barely being able to pay for this run. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we don't overfund, then this will be, it'll be a really valuable game that maybe, you know, 2000 people own and it won't be able to be produced at the next level. So, you know, grossly overfunding would be my wild <laughs> version of success. And it's not that it's not that I'm going to make more money on it. It's right. that we can keep doing it. Yeah. Because you've got to set the Kickstarter goal at a level that people look and say, "Hey, that's an achievable goal. They can make, you know, they can do this for $50,000." Um, but if we were to go to $150,000 on our actual funding, then that would give me enough money to buy the art for the next round and do mm-hmm. all the stuff that needs to be done. Because up, up to date, I've bought all the art out of my pocket. Oh, wow. 
And is the end goal to get this in, you know, Wizards of the Coast? Is that still a thing? Or, you know, the local hobby shop? I mean, is is there an end goal? Yeah. Is there a world where that happens? Or is this more kind of the hobby online kind of thing? We'll have direct sales through our website, but it'll also be available at, they call them in the industry, it's called a friendly local gaming store. That's okay. what they refer to gaming stores as. And so those, those stores can buy our product through a distribution network or they can buy it directly through us. But okay. yeah, man, I can't wait to walk in a store and sit on a shelf. Right now. I don't, I don't know if it's popular enough to be at target, you know, yeah. but, but it would be, it would be great to see it on the, on those friendly local gaming store shelves. Yeah. So if I buy the four faction version, I really liked it. I'm interested in getting the other ones and kind of finding out what that's about. How do I go about that? Um, so if you've got the if the base version, you'll be able to play with up to four people. It'll be great, all that. But then after that, we'll have releases of a smaller cost box that comes with you know two two factions at a time. So you'd have to get that through your friendly local gaming store or through our website or, or you know Amazon. It'll be on store. It'll be on places like that. Okay. But it'll be available online mostly, but you can also get it in a store if you participate in that market. Awesome. All right, we're in the home stretch here. Just a few more questions I'd like to ask everybody. Yeah. What do you like to do for fun outside of gaming? I mean, I've got two kids, and, you know, um, I'm from the country, if you can't tell through my accent. <laughs> um, we really like to be outside, go hiking, you know, just spend time with my family. And then, of course, I like all the other stuff that red-blooded Americans do. I like beer and football, you know, that kind of thing. But um, really just spending time with my family, being outside, and, um, you know, just hanging out. I'm not complicated. <clears throat> you mentioned you were in a band uh, earlier on. What, mm -hmm. what, what was that? It was just a cover band. You know, me and a couple of buddies from high school, we got together, I don't know, six years ago and started playing some covers. And people were like, y'all should keep doing this. So, um we did, and it was great, and then I had kids, and it just got really hard. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> um, so, but, man, I, I, I love that. I love playing music, and, you know, anybody that does that for a living, kudos to you, because oh, it, yeah. is, it is a job, but um, it's also a lot of fun. <clears throat> I like to joke that it's the second most fun thing in the world. <laughs> Amen. What instrument do you play? Yeah. Uh, I was a vocalist, okay. and I uh, play the harmonica. Oh, harmonica, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Anything you're excited about right now? Any movies you just saw, books you're reading, shows you're watching, anything, albums that just came out that you really liked? We've been watching This Is Us, man, and I'm not much on dramas, <laughs> but dude, it is great. It's, it's, like, it's brutal. I've, I've seen a lot of the thing pieces online of why yeah. do you watch this when it's so, so mean, devastating, was, but yeah, my, I, I'm right there with you. My dad passed away about three years ago, and I um I sang at his funeral. I did all this stuff, and no tears. Like I didn't cry, and I loved my dad. Yeah. But um, when that when that the other night they had a well, I don't want to spoil it. For yeah, anybody, yeah, yeah. Anyone that man, hasn't seen I it, was yeah. Crying like a little schoolgirl. Oh so yeah. It's a great show, and outside of that, I, I do love music. Um, there's a band that I'm really into now called uh, the Wild Feathers, right of Columbia, Tennessee. And they're kind of um, folky, you know, singer-songwriter stuff. Okay. But, um, you know, check them out if, if you get a chance The Wild Feathers. Awesome. With all that we've talked about, what inspires you to keep going? How do you keep yourself motivated? <sighs> um, Kane really does that for me, man. I get um, – he's my kind of co-designer, business partner, and he really encourages me to think outside the box and just keep going. Because there's been multiple times where I just wanted to shelve this thing. Because you get to a point where you think, man, it's, it's going to cost too much money. You don't have the time to do it, all that stuff. 
but he's he's been encouraging me and and when you sit down and you see people play it and they enjoy it it makes it all worth it Mm -hmm. so um i don't i don't know what other entrepreneurs how they get their satisfaction out of whatever their business is but when i can see somebody that loves games and they sit down and they like my game that that makes it worth the effort yeah, it's a it's a cool feeling. And anytime you see someone with something that you made, you know, something that you mm-hmm. designed or whatever, it's there's nothing mm-hmm. like it. It's cool, you know. Sure. Yeah. If you could go back to the start of the journey, anything you tell yourself? I might ask for help a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to, to actually get a graphic designer on board and kind of reach out to all the different in any in any industry, there's people out there that, that want to help you and are willing to help you because it helps them and helps the industry. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have reached out to those type of people early on because I've really learned a lot from other people inside the gaming industry. Any last words of advice? Life, art, creativity, anything? Man, just just my biggest thing with this project was just get started. You know, um, quit waiting. Just sit down and do it. And it doesn't have to be pretty. Your first pass is not going to be pretty. Right. And just just seriously get off your butt and go do it, really, <laughs> the other day. That's all it boils down to. 80% of life is showing up, right? Oh, yeah. So um, if you just go do it, eh, even if you don't make money at it the first time, whatever, just, just give it a shot. You might have fun. Yeah, you might. Well, Dustin, thanks for coming on the show. This is awesome. And I, I would have never thought that someone could design a board game, put it together, have it made, sell it to people. People would actually play it and like it. I, I did not know that this was a thing. And I think this is going to be really awesome for the listeners because this is a world I know very little about. And it, it's cool to see someone, you know, the show's all about people pursuing their passions, you know, finding a way to do what it is that they love to do and share that with others. And mm-hmm. you're definitely living that life. And it, it's awesome to talk to you and hear your passion about this. Well, thanks, man. You know, 2% of your listeners may may fund my Kickstarter. I don't know. Um, but it, everybody's got that thing that they're into that they think is super weird or whatever. Just just do it, you know. Go follow it and see who all is into that. So it's been a really learning experience for me, and I've, I've had a really good time doing this. Okay, Dan, the game is called Sigil Powers of War, action-packed fantasy-based strategic battle game. Uh, it can be found on the web at sigilpowersofwar.com. The Kickstarter is available right now, and it goes through April 18th. You can also find Sigil on Facebook at Sigil Game and on Twitter and Instagram at Sigil underscore Game. Dustin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. It was a good time. This has been the Maslow Peak Podcast presented by Spring State Media Group. Our producer is Jesse Edmond. If you like what you heard today, you can find all of our episodes on the web at themaslowpeak.com where you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud and have new episodes automatically pushed to you. If you could subscribe and rate us, that would help us a lot. You can also check out our Instagram at the Maslow Peak for behind-the-scenes details. Like us on Facebook at the Maslow Peak, and we're on Twitter at the Maslow Peak also. Thanks for listening, and you'll be hearing from us next week.